Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Habits of Grace. In this series, we look at four ways given by God so that Christians can enjoy Jesus through the spiritual disciplines, receive His grace, and experience the joy of a growing relationship with Jesus. As you know, we are in the Habits of Grace series. This morning's teaching is going to be enjoying Jesus through prayer. I have the privilege of opening God's Word with us this morning. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Our text this morning is going to be from Matthew chapter, what is this, uh, 6, verses 6 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. But when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Pray with me, please, would you? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Blessed be your name, Lord. Please have a seat. What I want to try to get across this morning as best as I am able to by the power of God, is that our loving Father has thrown open wide the door to his room. And he's eagerly inviting us to join us there and to commune with him. I'm going to be using this text. I'll be using this text to flesh out a couple things. But I want to tell you from the very outset, number one, I cannot do justice to a study of prayer and what I'm going to try to condense into 30 minutes. Okay, there's far too much, and I've already had to cut out way more than I wanted to just for this teaching. There are a lot of really good resources out there on prayer. I would encourage you to, uh, to dig into them if you have, if you want resources on prayer. Talk to Brett, talk to myself, talk to one of the elders. We'd love to put some really good material into your hands, including this book by David Mathis, The Habits of Grace. I'll be referencing uh, another book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. In this message, I would also commend that book to you. Um, Brett and I both read that, and it, it blessed us individually very, very deeply. Uh, the second thing is, I want to say this right from the outset, full disclaimer, I am not an expert on prayer. I am not an authority on prayer. I am not someone who is going to speak to you from this pulpit as an authority. I'm going to speak to you from this pulpit from the authority of Scripture, but I'm a fellow journeyer with you in the school of prayer. My prayer life is not what I wish it were today. My prayer night is not what it ought to be based on the fact that I've been walking with the Lord for 20-some years. Nevertheless, my prayers are acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ. And God has invited me and us into his presence to sit down with our Heavenly Father to share our heart with him, and to be responded to. Uh, a little group participation here just to get our minds going here this morning. I want you to uh, 
when I ask this question, how many of you, and just, this is just for you, don't raise your hand or anything uh, embarrassing like that. How many of you, when you think about prayer, have some sort of negative connotation with it? Some, you know, just any kind of eh, prayer, maybe it's a burden, maybe it's something that, that I feel guilty about, maybe it's something I know I don't do as much as I ought to, uh, all the oughts and shoulds, you know? Greg, do I need to move this up or down? Okay. Um, now, I want you to think about this. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute here. Every eye closed, every head bowed. We're going to turn the heat in the room up and then pass the plate again. <laughs> I want you to picture in your mind a time in your life where you experienced the most peace, the most fulfillment, the most satisfaction. Go ahead and take a minute, grab that thought, put it in your mind, picture it, where you were, who was with you, when it was. You got it? Now, just by show of hands, how many of you pictured something from your childhood? Just curious. There's a reality of fatherhood. When it comes to prayer, if we don't understand God as our Father, we will walk in fear. There are a number of excuses, an excuses, number of reasons that we have that we uh, sort of back away from prayer. Uh, just a few that came to mind as I was thinking about it. I haven't been a good child of God. I only ask Him for selfish things. I'm still walking in sin. Uh, God doesn't answer my prayers. Why should he listen to me anyway? There's so many other more important things in the world that he's paying attention to. I got myself into this mess. I need to get myself out of this mess. Any of those sound familiar? The point is, the reason that we back away from prayer is because of fear. We're afraid that God's not going to answer us, or possibly we're afraid, even more comically, that he will answer us, and if he does answer us, it's going to be more difficult for us. God, save the Ninevites, but don't really. Oh. <laughs> okay? We have a fear. I want you to listen to Bobby. Bobby, I want to thank you publicly for this. Bobby's going to read some quotes that are too big for me to read well. Uh, Bobby is going to read us a quote here from uh, the, the Paul Miller book, uh, which is called A Praying Life. Many Christians give in to a quiet cynicism that leaves us unknowingly paralyzed. We see the world as monolithic, frozen. To ask God for change confronts us with our doubt about whether prayer makes any difference. Is change even possible? Doesn't God control everything? If so, what's the point? Because it is uncomfortable to feel our unbelief, to come face to face with our cynicism, we dull our souls with the narcotic of activity. Hmm. That's where I live much of the time. And that's the fear that I have. Maybe God's not going to accept me. Maybe not, God's not going to hear me. Maybe God's not really there anyway. Maybe I'm, this is just a, a foolhardy endeavor I'm going through that's going to make me look foolish. How do I know my prayer is going to change anything? I have a myriad of fears and doubts that crop up when it comes to prayer. But there's a truth from Scripture that we see 
over and over and over and over again, and that is what I want us to see this morning. And that is that the God who first spoke to us, the way that Ryan so well pointed out last week, the God who speaks to us through his word, the God who speaks to us through the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ, the word of God, the logos of God, that same God who speaks stops, stoops down, and listens to us. Believer, you have the ear of God. We call it prayer. So here's a question. This is sort of point number one. What is prayer? Um, Beth, go to the screen with the pictures on it, please. We're going to look at a couple, five poor analogies of prayer real quick. And there's some, some icons up there to help you think through this. We can think of God as a vending machine. I put in my prayer and push in whatever my request is and pops out my Snickers answer to prayer. We can think of God as happy, stupid Santa Claus. If I'm good enough and I give him my wishes, he might bring it to me on Christmas Day. I might get what I'm looking for. We can think of God as the therapist who sort of pulled back from us, watching and listening and analyzing and able to tell us where we're wrong, but, but ultimately kind of leaves us on our own, saying, so how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? And full disclosure there, I do that, so I'm not knocking that totally. <laughs> There's a picture of God the miser. I was going to say God the Scot, but that was going to offend my wife. This picture in the middle here is supposed to be Ebenezer Scrooge. God the Scot, God the miser, who we bring him our requests, and he looks at us and says, bah, humbug. I'm not going to give you what I have. I don't delight in giving you these things. These are my things. If you want it, go work for it. Or God, the stern schoolmaster, that last picture up there, who says, yes, yes, that's close. Yes, that's good. Not quite. Not get that one right. A little more. Get that right. Okay. You have a C minus. Do better next time. Here's where you could improve. Those are some very poor analogies of God, but let's be honest, we approach God each of those ways at different times. There are some better analogies of prayer. There's the analogy of the intimate communication between lovers, the conversation of intimate things, the deep heart-to-heart -heart connection. There's a two-way radio on the battlefield where I'm calling my commander and he's giving me instructions and he's telling me the reinforcements are coming and there's a, a communication as to the mission that's going on. It's a back and forth. There's a conversation between friends where there's comfort and camaraderie, companionship. Each of those are, are better analogies, and they're good analogies of prayer. The problem is they're incomplete. And I, I'm struggling to do this, uh, but there's, there's not a good single analogy of prayer that I can find. If I were to try to sum it up into one word, and I told my wife I wouldn't do this, apparently I was wrong, I would sum it up in love. Prayer is walking in love with God. And, and we're going to look at these three things. You have to understand that prayer is always born out of need. Our prayer is either born out of our felt needs. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough health. I don't have something that I feel that I need. Or prayer is born out of our realization of our real need, which is our need for God himself. See, in prayer, you don't get things. In prayer, you go to God, and God offers you himself. 
And that is what I want to tease out here. So we're going to look at this in this passage in three ways. We're going to look at the first way of accepting the loving invitation. The second way is we're going to look at uh, yielding to love and conversation in spite of fear. And the third way is following and enjoying our tutor as he teaches us. So, enjoying Jesus through prayer. And this is the meat of where we are. Finding the joy. Verse 6 of our passage says this, But when you pray, go into your room, and after you've closed the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Your Father who hears in secret will answer you. We have the joy of accepting his invitation. Try to get an appointment with any pastor of a church over 2,000 people, or 500 for that matter. Try to get an appointment with the CEO of any company with more than 200 employees. Try to get an appointment with our mayor in Annapolis, our governor, your, your delegate, your representative. It's not easy. And you have to pursue them. But God has invited us, almighty God, creator and maker of the world, sustainer of your life, the one who knit you in your mother's womb, who called you forth from her womb and breathed his life into you, who sent his son to die for you so that your sins could be forgiven, who has called you by name into his kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness. That God has invited you into his room. He's thrown that door open wide and said, I want you to come in. I want you to come in because I want to be with you and I want you to be with me. So we have the joy of the invitation. We have the joy of pursuit where God is pursuing us through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through the advent of Christ himself. God calling to us, coming to us in our sin, in our fallenness, in our shame, our nakedness. He comes to us and says, come home, come away with me. But that's not the end of the pursuit, because we then get to enjoy God through pursuing him. When you pray, go into your room, close the door. You now have this intimate space where it's only you and God. And he says, this is our time. This is for you and for me. Everything else is outside of here. I know you can't see me, but I'm right here. I'm listening to you. I'm speaking to you. This is our special time. There's a joy of acceptance. God has not simply invited us to come and stand before his bar and give a defense or give our reasons. He's invited us because he has called us his beloved. And we get to enjoy that acceptance from Almighty God, the ruler of all things, in prayer. There's the joy of knowing his loving heart. And this is, this is, this kind of underpins everything else. The difference between Allah and God, the difference between the Muslim God and the Christian, the Judeo-Christian God, is that God is a God of love. In the Old Testament, primarily, broad brush strokes, okay? Not theological doctrine, but broad brush strokes here. In the Old Testament, God is seen through the lens of holiness, the primary metaphor. 
When we get into the New Testament, Jesus introduces to God through a new metaphor that persists through the entire New Testament, and that is God the Father. A holy God does not necessarily have to have a loving heart. But if you did not have a loving father, number one, my heart goes to you in compassion. Number two, that is because your father was broken. Because to be a father means you have a loving heart for your children. Not one that they earned, not one that they maintained through their good deeds. Because they bear your image. They're your offspring. They're part of who you are. God calls us in to know his loving heart towards us in prayer. He also calls us in to know his mind. He communicates to us what's going on in his head, and he puts his mind into our mind so that our thoughts begin to be his, or rather his thoughts begin to be our thoughts. His desires become our desires. As he reveals himself to us, in that revelation of God to us, he shapes us to be more like Christ. John talks about this. He says it's not been revealed what we're going to be fully yet, but when we see him face to face, as we see through a dim mirror right now, through a glass dimly as through a window, but when we see him face to face, we'll be like him, but we will see him. When our eyes are opened, when that revelation comes through to us, God changes us. And finally, on this point, we have the joy of vulnerability. When I say the joy of vulnerability, please understand I know that this means the pain of vulnerability as well. But we have the opportunity to come before our loving Father with no pretenses. Without the emperor's clothes, or without the clothes that the emperor should have had, and say, Father, this is where I am. I'm scared. I'm angry. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm ecstatic. I'm confused. I'm bursting with passion. Because God knows us, because he loves us, in our vulnerability with God in prayer, there is a joy of being known by the one who created us, who crafted us. He is, has invited us in to his room. He set a table for us and said, come, sit down, eat with me. Tell me what's going on. I want to know what's going on. How was your day? What happened there? How'd that work out? What can I do to help? Maybe we'll come back to that. The second point is that we get to experience, the second part that I want to look at here is yielding to love in communication in spite of fear. In verse 7, Jesus goes on to say, essentially, don't keep on babbling. Don't, don't, blah, 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 blah. you don't have to do that. He says, but when you pray, 
Don't keep on babbling like the pagans do. They think that because of their many words, they're going to be heard. But your father knows what you need before you ask. Stop right there. We could meditate on that for the rest of our time here. And we'd be doing really well. There's a joy in this. There's a joy of yielding to the God who already knows yielding to this conversation that he's calling us to. There's a joy of surrender, first and foremost. Because if God knows what I need, if God knows what I'm going through, if God knows what's going on, I don't have to have the answers, brother. I don't have to control the situation, sister. That's taken away from me. One of the reasons I don't go to prayer is because I don't know what God's going to do. I'm not sure I'm going to like what he does. But God knows what I need before I ask it. He has already revealed his loving heart to me as a father. And so when I come to him, I don't have to keep on trying to persuade him to do things my way. I don't have to walk in that fear. Instead, I can walk in a joyful surrender. Say, God, this is where I'm at. I don't know what you're going to do about it. I don't know what you can do about it. But I know that you're God. I know that I'm finite and limited. You're infinite and unlimited. And I'm coming to you because you created this whole thing. You're going to redeem this whole thing. You redeemed me, and I trust you to see me safely through it. And he says, come on in. Come on in. Let's talk about it. Beyond joy, there's a, there's a joy, beyond surrender, rather, there's a joy of hope. Regardless of what's going on, if God knows what I need before I ask it, I do not need to despair. I do not need to walk in defeat. God knows what I need. And God is either loving or he's not. And if he's not loving, brother and sister, head out the door right now. If God is loving and he knows what you need, you do not need to be anxious anything. There's a joy of confidence in that if God knows what I need, if he holds the future in his hand, I can be confident that whatever I'm walking through, as scripture has told us, there's no temptation that's overcome me that's not common to man. But with every temptation, God's provided a way of escape, primarily the way Jesus did it, through his word, taking in his word the, Ryan, the way Ryan talked about, abiding in his word, speaking that word into our context, speaking that truth from God back to him, saying, God, this is what you said. That's prayer, brother and sister. I'm being tempted, God. I'm being tempted to fear. I'm being tempted to run away. I'm being tempted by being overwhelmed. I'm being tempted to doubt you. But your word says, and you said you'd be faithful. And I'm holding you to that promise. And I'm standing here ready to be surrendered to whatever you decide your faithfulness is going to mean for my situation. There's not a lack of pain necessarily, friend. But there is a joy in being able to walk in that confidence with God. And finally, that confidence, that surrender, that hope, that confidence lead to peace. Peace. A decent definition is that things are the way they were meant to be. 
The reason we had peace in the garden was because things were as they were created to be. That shalom was broken by sin. And since then, we've been living under the curse of the fall. We've been living in a broken world, which is why we don't have peace, because things are not the way they're meant to be. The reason that our hearts long for more and yearn to be home, back in the garden or in paradise, is because our hearts know they were meant for something else. We yearn for that. We yearn for that peace. In prayer, being surrendered because we don't have to twist God's arm, because he knows what we need, he knows what we're going through. We have Jesus Christ, God himself, who came down to earth, lived as we lived, was afflicted as we were afflicted, yet without sin. He's gone back to the Father. He's praying to God the Father on our behalf right now. Right now, our older brother, our high priest, our sacrificial lamb is praying to our Father for us, knowing what we're walking through. There's a joyful peace in that, brother and sister. I can walk in confidence knowing that God has got this thing wrapped up. Thirdly, looking at this third point from the text here, we get to enjoy our tutor, and his lessons. Jesus says, this then is how you want to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. and Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What do we see here? I want to point out a few, a couple things here. Number one, there is a joy in being shaped by our teacher. Notice first off, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said this. When you pray, pray this way. We know his disciples went to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's a great prayer, by the way. If you want to learn how to pray, we'll get to this point later, but if you want to learn how to pray, pray with someone who prays better than you do. Here's a pro tip. Jesus prays better than all of us. Put together. Jesus said, pray this way. We get to be shaped by his prayers. We get to be shaped by his lessons. Secondly, uh, actually, um, yeah, uh, just a thought here. We're all in the school of prayer. And Jesus is both our tutor and our guide as we walk through the school. He, he brings us into the classroom and says, do this. Go this way. Do this. And as we follow him, we grow and we are strengthened. Secondly, there's joy in unity. It starts this way. Our Father. Our Father. Give us today our daily bread. Our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. There's a a corporate nature to prayer. Now, obviously, there's two kinds of prayer. There's individual prayer where I'm by myself, and there's non-individual prayer where I'm with someone else. We can break them down to those two simple categories because you're either, it's pretty binary, you're by yourself or you're with someone else, right? But there's a joy in unity because when I pray by myself, Jesus and the Father are right there with me. Paul tells us when I don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit's there with me too praying for me with groans that can't be uttered. When you don't know how to pray, God steps in and says, that's okay. 
I know what you need. And my spirit knows how to pray for you. And my son is praying for you right now to me. So we've got this covered. You sit back. We'll take care of this right now. But there's also a joy in unity, being together as the body. We have a lot of prayer in our meeting here. Um, it's one of the things that we endeavor to do. We want to have corporate prayer because there is a blessing in the body of Christ when we pray together. We get to enjoy that unity. And as a side note, I want to encourage you, when we have opportunity to pray here in the church together, I encourage you to join in with that, to, to participate in that. You can be an observer, you can be a participator. Observers are going to get bored, participators are going to get blessed. Blessed or bored. It really is that simple. I encourage you because God is inviting you in. I encourage you to participate in your hearts with the Father as we pray together as a church. Thirdly, there's a joy of triumph. Give us today our daily bread. It is not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. As we follow Jesus in prayer, what we find out is that it's about God. It's about what God's doing. It's about what God's doing in our life and around us. And as we read through the whole book, we find out that God wins. Because we have a loving Father who knows what we need and in the end wins, there's a joyful, triumphant nature that we can have in prayer to God. I don't know what's going on. I don't even understand why you're doing what you're doing, but I know that you've got it. And I know it's going to work out well for me because you said that you're going to do good to those who are loved you and called according to your purposes. And I know it's going to turn out well for you because you're going to do what you, what you planned out to do. In his book, uh, A Praying Life, Paul Miller uh, makes this observation. He says he remembers realizing one day that when God says that he would be my fortress, he did not say, I will give you a fortress. If God gives me a fortress, I'm responsible to make sure it stays strong and impervious to attack. If God gives me a fortress, I'm the one who's responsible. But if God is my fortress, I can run to my fortress and find safety in him. The picture here, the picture here of God being my fortress, for those of you who are married, you'll recognize this. Your husbands, your wife comes to you. She's distraught. She's overwhelmed. She's sad. She's concerned. She's afraid. Whatever it is, she comes in. She says, I need you to hold me right now. And you wrap your arms around her. And you cover her in your embrace. And for that moment while she's there in your arms, she feels, for some reason, safer. That's what we have with God our Father. He is our fortress. He will be triumphant. A couple more points here. There's the joy of forgiveness. This goes two ways. We have the joy of being forgiven by God is one of the most sweetest things you will ever experience. And you have the joy of forgiving others, which is also one of the most sweet things you will ever experience. I've, I've said to a number of people, two of the sweetest things you can ever say or hear are, please forgive me 
and I forgive you. When we say those things and when we hear those things, there is a release. There is a surrendering of rights. There is a surrendering of accountability that says, I deserve this. I should get that. Or you deserve that, and I should make sure you get it. We open our hands and they just fly away. So much dust in the wind. That's the joy of forgiveness that we have. We have the joy of remembering. Your kingdom come, your will be done, that this is in heaven. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We have the joy of remembering, and I want to encourage you, we'll come back to this perhaps, but I want to encourage you to journal. Journaling does two things. Journaling helps you remember your joy accurately, and journaling helps you see yourself more accurately. And it also helps you see God more accurately. When we, when we don't write down what's happened in our lives, how God has answered us, how he's been faithful, it's very easy for us to forget how he's spoken to us. And when we forget how God's spoken to us and we see that we've walked through X number of years, what we begin to think is that we walked through those X number of years on our own, by our own wisdom. And then you open up your journal. Your journal says, hey, dum-dum, here's what God did. It wasn't you. In fact, you were crying like a baby. You were curled up in the corner sucking your thumb. And you called out to God. And your daddy said, I'm coming. And he pulled you out of that pit. He set you up on his shoulders and he walked out of there. And your enemies were defeated. They flew left and right because your father was carrying you. And that builds your faith. God, our loving Father, has thrown open the door to his room wide and has invited each of us to come in and to commune with him, to receive who he is. That's prayer, brothers and sisters. And that is tremendous joy. We're going to move now to applying the word. I want to give you a couple tips here. First of all, perspectively, Prayer is simple enough for any child, and it is a lifelong study of the most elderly saint. Doesn't matter where you are in your prayer life. If you think prayer is too hard, look at your children, look at the children around you, ask them to pray, see what they do, and do that. God said, Jesus said, let the children come unto me. Whoever comes to me has, must have faith like a child. The child's not thinking about, am I, am I getting this right? Am I saying the right things? I listen to my kids pray. <laughs> And it both blesses and, and, and instructs me because there's a simplicity, a truthfulness in both what they want and their sin. God, please help tears and not take my stuff. All right, son. Tomorrow's devotion is going to be on something else. <laughs> but prayer is also the lifelong study of the most elderly saint. There's not a single gray hair in this room who can't continue to grow in prayer, who God isn't continuously inviting into that closet to grow deeper in prayer, to know more of his heart. If God is infinite, then you haven't reached your fullness yet. Someone should write that down and email that to me because I could use that quote. <laughs> the joy of knowing Jesus. I'm going to give you a couple tips here. 
Number one, make small changes. Remember, Jesus is the one. He's our guide. We've already said this in, in the past two weeks. I won't belabor too much. But don't try to eat the whole elephant at once. If you're not praying at all, make a decision to pray tomorrow. Once. Start there. If you're praying for five minutes a day and getting nothing out of it, make a decision to tell God, God, I'm dry. I'm not getting anything out of this. You said there should be a vibrant relationship here, and I'm not feeling it. I'm giving that to you because I can't change it. Make small changes, too. Make a plan. Simple enough. There are lots of really good tools out there for prayer. Brett's already mentioned the Prayer Made app. Maybe you're a, a more kinesthetic person. You want to write things down. Get some flashcards. Write down some prayer requests. Write down what God's been doing in your life. Just jot them down. And also, here's a pro tip. When you go to pray, you know, you, you stop and, and okay, I'm, I'm going to pray now. Dear Jesus, I'm coming to you this morning because, oh, I need to get toast. I need to get more bread. That's where we live. You have a little notebook there called Satan's Little Distractions Notebook? <laughs> Write that down. Need bread. Back to prayer. Need milk, too. Back to prayer. Eventually, Satan will stop putting those things in your ear trying to distract you. But here's the thing. We, we will allow ourselves to be distracted from things that we don't want to pay attention to. Okay? I won't be heavy, but that's heavy. Build these things into your life so that when distraction comes, you can say, no, this is where my heart is. This is where my focus is. So I'm going to direct everything here. And anything that's distracting, I'm going to put it out of year and time out right now. I'll get back to you. Your phone, your phone's constantly going off. Turn your phone into silent. Leave your phone outside of that room. And the God who hears in secret will answer you without your phone. <laughs> Third tip, start with his word. I can't stress this enough. When you go to God in prayer, you are not coming to him with what you have. God spoke first. God spoke first. All we do is resonate back to God what he's already said. And we either don't resonate it because we're not praying, or we resonate it wrongly because we're trying to do our own thing. We're trying to tell him whatever we're trying to tell him. We're trying to be the initiators of this conversation. The conversation didn't start with me. It started with God. So when you go to pray, take a verse, take a psalm, take a proverb, take a meaningful something. Take, take one of the verses from the Romans Road. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that inform and shape your prayers. Father, you have demonstrated your love to me. You've showed me how much you love me. I was a sinner and you died for me. Let that be your jumping off point. There's also the, uh, the Acts method. Uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. There's lots of good resources out there. I, I encourage you to use something. Make a plan. Plan well and you'll succeed well. Aim small, miss small, right? Keep a journal. I've already said this, but I'll say it again. Keep a journal. 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 This journal is not for your kids to read. Okay? 
His journal is not going to become a bestseller just before you die. You're not going to make royalties off of this. What you're going to do is have a book of God's faithfulness in your life. So when the evil one comes to tempt you to say God has not been faithful, you can look back and say, well, let's see. Twelve years ago, God was faithful in this way. Twelve years ago, I was walking in sin and rebellion towards God, and he rescued me. Keep a journal. Keep a journal. Uh, point E here. Pray with those who are better prayers. Plain and simple, the best way to grow in your prayer life is to pray with those whose lives have been seasoned and shaped by prayer, by Scripture. Find some older people. Find some people with some nice white hair who in their state of life have more time than you do, who have spent more time with God than you have, who have spent more time in his word. Scott Ruprecht was telling me about his mother, who's one of these prayer warriors. All of his life, he looked at her. She was constantly praying. He said it was embarrassing how much she prayed. That's the person you want to learn to pray with. Get around other people and start to pray with them. Let's see here. Where are we? Pray with others. Final pro tip here, enter boldly. God's already accepted you. Enter into his presence boldly. We come by the blood. We come by the lamb. We come through the cross. We've already been accepted in the beloved. Enter boldly. It doesn't matter whether or not you have fallen off the prayer wagon. Your father has thrown that door open and invites you in. I'll take just a minute here and speak to a couple special cases. I'm aware that there may be some people here who say, Jer, I hear what you're saying, but look, quite honestly, I just don't feel like praying. Maybe I've grown discouraged because God has not answered me. Maybe I'm angry because God has done me wrong. Or maybe, and this is the one that I struggle with most, I don't feel God's delight over me as a father. If that's you this morning, and since that is me many mornings, I'll say this to you. God has already spoken. He's already revealed himself. He's called to you as a loving father. He's invited you into his room. Take where you are to him in prayer. John Piper says that prayer is not simply the measure of our spiritual warmth. It is also the remedy for when we are spiritually cold. I've had plenty of people who's come to me and say, look, I'm really struggling. I'm dry. I'm in a desert place. Please don't tell me read my Bible and pray. Okay, I won't tell you read your Bible and pray. But I'll tell you this. If you don't read your Bible and pray, nothing's going to change. We're going to move to the Lord's table. I want to I want to prepare the table for us this way. Number one, prayer is a reflection of the gospel. Bobby, would you read that first quote there? Prayer mirrors the gospel. In the gospel, the Father takes us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of salvation. In prayer, the Father receives us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of help. We look at the inadequacy of our praying and give up, thinking, Something's wrong with us. 
God looks at the adequacy of his son and delights in our sloppy, meandering prayers. Thank you, Father. That's from uh, A Praying Life. Again, Paul Miller. Uh, I've hit journaling quite a bit. I'm going to move to the table, but as we move to the table, uh, I've asked Bobby, and, and I, I hesitate to do this, but I'm going to do it. I don't want to put myself in display here, but I'm going to have Bobby read to you an excerpt from my journal from, I guess it was about 11 years ago now. And I'll set up the background here. Uh, I was entering, this was during my last semester of seminary. I had spent the summer uh, in Guatemala working with orphans. And when I came back to school, I had a tremendously bad case of senioritis. I felt very out of place. I wanted to be back in Guatemala working with the kids where I'd laid my heart out. And my spiritual vitality was as low as it had ever been. I was also in a class called Personal Counseling and Discipleship, wherein we went through each of the means of graces and practiced them. And through this time, I, I wrote, you're not going to hear but I wrote it down, and I felt God calling me over and over again. And every time I heard God calling me, and I answered him saying, listen, I want to I be with you. But the earliest I've got time is in January. And this was, honestly, this is in, this is in September, October. And this is honestly what I told God. Yes, I want to respond. Yes, I want to be close to you. How's post-Christmas? Bobby, if you'd read that, and we'll move to communion. During this time, God never stopped calling me. On many occasions, I clearly heard his call to my spirit to come away to him. And each time, I would tell him how earnestly I desired to follow, but how I simply did not have the time to invest right then. The more he called, the more I noticed his call, and the more I heard him, the more I saw just how far adrift I had come. Yet, for all of my desire, I did nothing. Then something occurred to me. Why hadn't God interjected himself in a way that would surely drive me to my knees, begging forgiveness and rescue of him? I had walked with the Lord long enough to know that he knew how to get my attention in a hurry. Many times in my previous wanderings, I was only restored after tasting the bitterness of my foolishness. I knew that God had both the power and the right to impose himself in this way. So when he did not, I noticed. I began to ask him, why are you not allowing the pain to come? That would probably work, you know. <laughs> then, as clearly as I could understand anything I heard, his voice simply answered, because I love you, I want you to love me. Because of how much I love you. This was not the response I was expecting. With each day that went by without my returning to follow the Lord, I could see his love still fully bent towards me and my rejection of it. With each day, I continued to despise myself more and more, more and more, yet I did nothing. Rightly, Paul states that the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance from Romans 2.4. One day, while preparing to leave my house to head to school, I asked my dad for a few dollars for the bus. After giving me the money, he asked, Do you need more money? Because I have, more mon I have money for you. It was the way he said, Because I have money for you. It was as if God was speaking directly to me through my earthly father, saying, You really don't realize how much I love you. I am so rich, and I want to give you so much, all you need to do is ask me. 
His words cut to my core in that moment. Later that week, I received a DVD from a friend I had met a few weeks earlier. After we shared a conversation about worship, he promised to send me a CD about the topic. In the package he sent me was a DVD of Jim Cimbala giving a message entitled, My Father's House Shall Be a House of Prayer. I put the disc in and watched it the night I received it. As I watched, the Lord began to speak to my heart again, not judging or condemning, but inviting and lovingly calling me to him. His call was very simple, worship and love me first. That is when I turned. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. After giving thanks, he broke it, that this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup. Pouring it out, he said, this is my blood poured out for you, for the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Loving and gracious Father, you who have opened the door to us, Father, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggle, we stand at this table in full recognition of the fact that you did not bring the pain to drive us to you. Instead, you put that pain on your son. Because he was broken, the door was opened up so that we can enter into your Father who has adopted us, who has given us the spirit adoption by which we cry out, Daddy, Father. You who are near to us, come to you. And I ask, Father, that as we receive the body and blood of Christ, you would renew our joy. Fill us with your joy, Father, for in your presence there is fullness of joy. You who fill all in all, fill our hearts this morning. As we surrender to you, Father, as we yield in love to your love, as we come to you, Father, I ask that you would give us that joy. In Jesus' name. We're going to take communion in just a minute. If you are a visitor, you're welcome to take of this. This is not a religious meal. This is a meal. The Church of Jesus Christ, if you believe that you are a sinner, that Jesus Christ died to forgive your sins, that the only way to be forgiven is through the blood, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, this is for you. If you don't believe that, please let it pass. We'll hand out the elements, and we'll take it together in just a few minutes. Lord, you said that you are our shepherd. We shall not want. You said you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Father, this is a table that we come to this morning, the table that you have laid and arrayed with the fineries of your kingdom. And we have a foretaste of it here this morning, Father, by your grace and your goodness. You have called us to table, to sit and to eat with you, 
our host and our father. We come because our older brother sits at that table with you, bearing the scars which he received for the forgiveness of our sin. So, Father, with joy, we say thank you. Thank you that you sent your son for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you obeyed the Father to the point of death, that you loved him and you called us and you delivered us to your Father that we might receive your inheritance. Thank you, Jesus, that you were broken, that we might be made whole. Take and eat. Jesus, you said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever is in me will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You, Jesus, are vine, were crushed, and your blood flowed out of the wine press. We receive it by faith. And I ask Jesus, as we do, that you would cause us to bear much fruit that you would cause the fruit of the Spirit to blossom in our lives. And I ask specifically, Jesus, for each of us in the sound of my voice, that we would have the fruit of joy, born out of the fruit of peace, peace with God, peace in our lives. And Father, may we, as your children, as we bear this fruit, may we carry it forward to those around us to spread the fragrance of your table, to spread the fragrance of the offering of your son so that more may come to this table. Thank you, Father, for your love. Take and drink. Father, I thank you, Lord. that you have opened wide the gates of your house, the door of your dining room, the door of your den, and called us in to sit with you, to hear your words, to open our heart back to you, to know your heart, to know your mind, to have peace in your embrace. I ask, Father, that you would cause these things to go into our hearts, that you would cause the truth of your word to bear fruit in our lives. And that, Father, anything that is that I said that has gotten in the way, I ask that you would remove it. You would have your perfect way through your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for benediction? Hear the words of your loving Father. Do not be anxious for anything, but in all things, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving in your heart, make your requests known to me. And my peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Go in the joy of our Lord. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.